Last week, I introduced a subject called federal heads. That's not a Bible term, and I've been actually using that term very loosely compared to what a lot of folks use it in terms of theology. But basically what I'm trying to impress upon you and through Scripture is that a lot of times we get blessings and curses because someone else is representing us. And uh, last week we focused on some of the negative consequences of people in our lives, whether it be a king or a husband or a father or just a member of a, a particular group where they have committed a sin or a trespass and the consequences just don't settle with them, it kind of rolls onto us. That was kind of the, the, the bad news. In other words, I called that message my bad. In other words, my fault. Now today I want to focus on the positive. There are times where people in our lives will do things and act obediently and give us blessings regardless of our stubbornness or our pride. And I want to focus on the good. Uh, Lord willing, uh, the goal is, in week number three, is I want to focus on some scriptures found in uh, Romans 5 and also 1 Corinthians 15 where it talks about us having two federal heads. So this is what we're working on. Normally in the past, I would have tackled this subject and done it all in one Sunday, and I would have, uh, uh, I would have choked on it trying to get it all done, and uh, my wife would have fussed at me all the way. No, I'm just teasing, but she says, slow down, Dad, Dolph, slow down. So, so I'm trying to do that. So Lord willing, I'd just like to look at examples in the Bible of people that were obedient, and because of their obedience, they blessed people around them. Now, this should be encouragement to every single person here, especially if you are a parent or a grandparent. There are things that you can do that trickle down to children and to grandchildren, and even though it might not look that you're having an impact, God's Word says there can be that representation there. So I want to look at those and give us encouragements for obedience, even though um, children and grandchildren may be uh, straying. Okay, so we want to continue to be steadfast. So that being said, I want to go through a couple examples. And here's an example of a father. The first example is in Job chapter 1 and verse 5. Let me read this passage. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them. He's talking about his ten children. And rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned or cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Here's a case where Job is acting as a uh, representative of his ten children. And he's making confession and he's making sacrifice for his ten children. Does God pay attention to that? You bet he does. Okay? So, so <clears throat> I got to admit, when it comes to prayer, my wife is an incredible prayer warrior. And I know I'm getting blessings because of her prayer, not mine. And I know my children are being blessed because of her prayer, not mine. She is tenacious. And even though she curses her sleep deprivation, I think in ways I'm get the blessing of it even though she is awake many hours and just spends time talking to the Lord. This is an example of a positive example, a positive representation. 
Let's go to look at a second one. This is in Genesis 18 and 32. This is a pretty familiar passage. This is Abraham. And Abraham is going to pray for an entire city. And you remember he's interceding to God and he says, will you destroy a city for 50 righteous, for 40 or 30, 10? And he got down to 10 and he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak yet this once. Peradventure 10 shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 10 sakes. In other words, what Abraham was doing, he was petitioning. God was very angry at the city. And he was ready to destroy it. And Abraham is interceding and he keeps on praying to God and says, I'm asking for mercy. I'm, uh, please, please, please bless these people. And he says, if I can find 10 right, and, and God says, okay, if you can find 10 righteous, I won't do, destroy it. So this is an intercessory type prayer. Unfortunately, in this case, he couldn't find 10 righteous. So the city got destroyed. But, he, but God said he would have. Okay, we can pray like that for our children. Got it? Okay. Number three, Exodus 32, 10 and 11. Let me read this one. This is going to be Moses. This is when Moses was leading the Israel through the wilderness and they were being very mischievous. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath wax hot against them. This is God talking and I may consume them and I will make thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thou wrath wax hot against thy people? which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power, with a mighty hand. God says, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of them. They're just being rebellious. I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to get a new group, and I'm going to start all over. And Moses says, Lord, please have mercy on them. And God said, okay. Have you ever prayed for your children like that? Have you ever prayed for your grandchildren like that? Have you ever prayed for your nation like that? I could do a lot better. Here's my favorite. This one is near and dear to my heart. Ezekiel 22 and 30, 31. Now, this one here, there's a word in there, G-A-P. I think if you've been around me very long, you know I purposely named my eldest son with initials G-A-P for this verse. Okay? When he was born, I arranged his name so it would be purposely be G-A-P because I prayed he would be this kind of man. So when Graham was here... He had those initials, and praise the Lord, along comes my grandson, and guess what he did to his oldest son? He gave him the same initials, Gideon Andrew Painter. Why? Because of this verse. This is my prayer for my, my, not just my oldest son, but he's the one that came first, so he got the initials. Ezekiel 22, 30, 31 and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land. In other words, I'm looking for one person to stand in the gap between God and judgment. And for that one man, for the land's sake, I'm looking for that man. So when my son was born, I was praying that as he grew up, he could be such a man. Okay? that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God was looking for one to stand in the gate, and he couldn't find one. I pray my sons could be that. Now, we're going to see a couple examples of people representing for good. This goes for men and women. It's just not the guys. Okay. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed on their heads. 
saith the Lord God. So, I still pray that, that my children could be that kind of people. I pray that my grandchildren could be that kind of people. Okay, so that's the principle of federal headship for positive. Let's look at some real life examples now. The first one I'd like to go to is Joseph. This is a very, oh, a very casual, I want to I break you into this. But, but let me tell you the story and then we'll read the scripture to see if what I'm telling you is true. If you remember, Joseph was a very uh, faithful treasurer. He was the number two man in the, in the nation um, Egypt. And during that particular time, he was able to secure and get his father to come back during a famine. And Jacob, his father, came back. And then Jacob was old. I think he was about 148 years old when he died. I think it was 140-something. And then Joseph went to the Pharaoh, and he said, he said, Pharaoh, my father's died. May I have permission to go bury him in his hometown? And Pharaoh said, okay, you can go. You've got permission. And he sent all the dignitaries. And they had this great, big, incredible funeral. So much so when they got into the promised land, the Canaanites were looking there and they're going, wow, what kind of person was that? And all I'm saying is, he got this amazing first class funeral, but it wasn't because of a 148-year-old man. It was because of his son. His son was a very faithful man. The funeral was not out of respect of Jacob who died. The funeral was out of respect of faithful Joseph's father. They weren't burying Jacob. They were burying Joseph's father. I think I've shared this story with you. Back when I was in Georgia, um, I had a father in the ministry, the, the first man I ever started preaching. I preached under him. He was an older man. His name was Edward Cagle. And some time went by and and, and uh, after a period of time, his wife died, Sister Florine. And she passed away, and Edward was just a man of the community. He was very well thought of, very well respected. And uh, I was part of that funeral. I was supposed to speak at the funeral, and it worked out. It was pretty amazing, but I was at the front. So we got to the church. And when we got to the church, we waited, and we waited, and we waited. The funeral procession was over a mile and when we finally, the last car pulled in, the police officer standing out front, he said, who was that? A former governor? And a preacher friend of mine says, no, just a pastor's wife that made good biscuits. Okay? <laughs> but it wasn't our pastor's wife that made good biscuits. It was for Brother Edward, who made such an impact in the community. She did too, but it was, it was more for her. So that's an example of where certain obedience blesses another. Let's read the scripture, see if it's true. This is in Genesis 50. And when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die in my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan. There shalt thou bury me. Now therefore let me go, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury thy father, according as he made thee swear. And Joseph went up to bury his father, and he went with him with all the servants of Pharaoh. Those are all the dignitaries. 
the elders in his house and the elders in the land of Egypt. What a funeral procession this was. There's a lot of dignitaries, big shots. Okay, I'm skipping down to verse 10. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan, and there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation. These servants didn't know Joseph's father, but they wept sorely and they lamented. Why? Because out of respect for Joseph. Joseph was a very faithful steward. Okay? Wherefore the name of it was called Abilam Ram, which is beyond Jordan. Okay? That's the example. That's kind of a very limited one, but that's how a son can bless a father. See, he can go both ways. Got it? A son can bless a father, a son can bless a grandfather, and we can go grandfathers can bless grandchildren. It works both ways. I got one where a woman is going to bless her family. Okay? This is Rahab. Rahab is the woman that was in uh, Jericho. Okay, Rahab's faithful ble- faithfulness blessed her entire family. This is in Joshua 2, 3, and 4. <clears throat> Let's read this example. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come unto thee. These were two spies that Joshua sent to go check out Jericho, which are entered into thine house, for they become to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them and said, Thus there came men unto me, and I wist not whence they were. This is a time where <clears throat> a lie was okay. Amen? She lied because she was saving these two Jewish men's lives. Okay? All right. Skipping down to verse 11. And, and, and the two men said, Why did you stick your neck out for us? Why on earth would you go against your own country people? Why would you protect us and be a traitor to your own country? This was a response. He says, as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth below. She says, you know what? I've seen God operate with you, and you know what? There's no going against your God. I'm doing it because your God is Jehovah God. These pagan statues were worshipped. That's nothing. And I'm not doing it for these two men. I'm doing it for Jehovah God. Sounds like she's on the right track. Amen? Okay, let me skip down to verse 13. And she says, I'll cut you a deal. He says, when you get out of here and you get home safe, this is what I want you to do. I want you to save my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters. What did Rahab's father and mother and brother and sisters do? Nothing. Do you realize the obedience of this one woman recognized Jehovah God and the faithfulness of saving his two men saved her whole family. And that's what happened. And we're going to skip down. The story continues and plays out in chapter 6, 23 through 25. Let me read this passage. This is when they take Jericho. The, the, the two spies go in, secure her family, and safely deliver them out. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she, they had. And they brought all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire and all that were there, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot 
She wasn't a harlot anymore. Alive in her father's household and all that she had and she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers. This is an example of a faithful act of obedience to Lord God by a one woman saved her whole family. I hope that gives you encouragement no matter what your age is, young, middle age, old age. Your prayers and your obedience can bless your entire family. Guys, you're just getting a little peek. Ultimately, you know this is lessons pointing to? Anybody? Jesus, okay? He's the most faithful, most obedient. We're riding his coattails. You got it? Okay. What did we do to deserve it? Nothing. We did as much as Joseph did. We did as much as Rahab's mom and dad. We did nothing. They're running their coattails. Okay? All right. I am now in Exodus 14. This is Moses' faithfulness blessed an entire nation. Now, now listen. I love this story. But you got to notice the details of this. Okay? Again, this is, this is one, I, I, when we read the scripture, I, I can't read the whole chapter 14 because I don't want to spend a lot of time here, so I'm going to summarize it and kind of pick a couple verses out. But this is what I want you to notice. I figure Moses shows up to the Red Sea, and there's a close to a million Israelites there. Got it? So they come up into the Red Sea. There they are. And they got mountains to the north. There's a forest to the south, and they got the Egyptians behind them, and they got a sea in front of them. And the Israelites are saying, oh boy, Moses is a general, you're the worst we ever had. You've led us into a box canyon. That's what they're saying. We should, we're better off dying here, we're better off serving the Egyptians. I told you we shouldn't have gone. I mean, they're just moaning and complaining. And Moses walks up to the Red Sea and he says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then they get through and we go all the way to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 29. And you know what it says? It says, by faith they passed through the Red Sea. What? (laughs) Who had the faith? One guy. One guy saved a million. Got it? Now, it says they believed. You know when they believed? On the other side. Okay? They had to see it to believe it. All right, let's read. I told you what's going to happen. See, see, as we talk about Joseph and his father, and we talk about Rahab and her family, we're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The scope's getting bigger. We're getting to Jesus Christ and all his children. Okay? All right, so I'm in Exodus 14. I'm just going to read 10 through 12 right now. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? That doesn't sound like a whole lot of faith, does it? None. Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not the word that we tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? 
For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. Man, oh man, there's no faith in these guys at all. It's a million against one. I kind of like those odds, don't you? Because the one's got God on his side. I'll take him every time. Okay? Verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, this is one you've got to highlight in your Bible. Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today for the Egyptians whom you have seen today. Ye shall save them again no more forever. How many people do you think believed when Moses said that? What? They didn't have helicopters then. You got it? Right? Verse 31. They got to get through the Red Sea. Now they're on the other side of the Red Sea. And here's the million. There's Jesus. There's uh, Moses. Makes a way. They cross through on dry ground. Once they get through, the Egyptians start following. The waters come. And all the Egyptians were floated away. Notice what it says here at the end of the chapter. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord. And it said, okay, now I believe you, God. Now I believe you, Moses. Right? So when we go to Hebrews 11, it says, by faith they passed through the Red Sea. Not their faith. Whose faith was it? It was Moses. One guy in that crowd of a million believed. That's all it took. Okay. So if America's made up of 350 million. If we got 350, I think we got the right odds. Yes? I don't even think we need 350. I think the handful of people in this little room right here is enough. Okay? That's how federal heads work. Okay. I got one more. I'm going to talk about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was also a federal head. Okay? Don't worry, we're getting to Jesus real soon. This is the last one. I want to start reading here. This is a particular case where um, um, Judah was the last tribe and, and it got overrun and they were carried away and they were made slaves. And there was a servant named Nehemiah and he found out how bad the city of Jericho, or not Jericho, Jerusalem was. And, and he was really pricked and he was just, just tore up. And he decided all by himself. He didn't get the church council. He didn't get a church deacons. He didn't, he didn't get a bunch of elders together. He didn't get a whole church together. One man all by himself. Okay? If one man can, change, can save a whole nation and can restore a whole city, can one man or one mother do some good for a family? The answer is yeah. Yes. Verse uh, 3 and 4. And they said unto me, The redmen are left in captivity. There in the province are in great affliction and reproach. This is someone talking to Nehemiah, telling him in a bad state of affairs. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are all burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard, this is Nehemiah speaking, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before God of heaven. One man. Just one guy. You got it? He wept, and he fasted, and he prayed. Verse 6. Notice he's going to make a confession. Pay attention to these words of his confession. Got it? 
Let thine ear, he's praying to God now, be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant. Lord, please hear me. I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel. You mean I can confess sins for other people? Nehemiah did it, right? I thought I could confess my sins. No. What was Job doing? He was making sacrifices for his children's sins. We can make offerings of sins of other people. Sometimes God listens. Doesn't hurt to try. Got it, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa? Yes. And confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house. Oh, yeah, by the way, I might have sinned too, right? Just not my kids, just not my grandkids. I probably did too, right? Got it? Okay, I'm skipping to verse chapter 2 and verse 5. So he goes to the king, Artaxerxes, and he says, Artaxerxes, I got a little favor to ask. No, I don't need next Friday off. There's a city down yonder, and I want to rebuild it. Do you know what a crazy request that is? But he asked it anyway. And you know what's even crazier? Artaxerxes said, okay, what do you need? You need soldiers, you need money, you need supplies, whatever you want, you got it. Wow, one guy got all that. And I said to the king, if it please the king and thy servant be found favor in thy sight, that I would send me to Judah under the city of my father's sepulchers, that would be Jerusalem, that I may rebuild it. And he said, okay. And then look what happens all the way down to chapter 7 and verse 1. Now it came to pass that the walls were built and the doors were set up and the Levites were pointed. They had a great big worship service and that worship service was recorded in Nehemiah chapter 8. Because one guy was convicted and prayed to God on behalf of a city. That's how federal headship works. Isn't that good news? That's the kind of God we serve. Never give up. Never give up. Okay. Ultimately, I want to look at Jesus Christ. Now, we're really going to bear down on this next week because I want to talk about our two federal heads and how they work simultaneously. But I just want to kind of briefly introduce you to some of the things Jesus Christ accomplished all by himself without your help. Got it? I'm going to start off in Isaiah 53, because Isaiah 53, even though we call it Old Testament, I really call it the fifth gospel. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Isaiah 53, right? I want you to look at this substitutive nature or capacity Jesus Christ is in. Okay, I just want to read two ver- whole verses here. Let me read verse 4 and 5. Surely he hath borne our griefs, he hath carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and his stripes were healed. When did he do that? 2,000 years ago. Amen? Did he need your input? Mm-hmm. Look at this chapter. Okay? Look at this chapter. Look at all those words. Look at everything he did for you. And Isaiah wrote this hundreds of years before he did them. 
Look at this. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was smitten of God. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He got our chastisement. The iniquity of us all was upon him. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. The transgressions of for his people, he took them and he was stricken. His grave was with the wicked. He was bruised. He was put to grief. An offering, he was an offering for sin. There was travail put on his soul and he bore their iniquities. Poured out the sin unto death. He bare the sin of many. He made intercession for transgressors. Look how packed that passage is. He did all that for you. And you didn't even ask him. Just like the blessing Joseph's father got, just like Rahab's parents got, just like Israel got because of Moses, that's what a federal head does. Let's look at some more. Okay? There's a redemptive capacity. I'm in the New Testament now, 1 Timothy 2. Let me read verses 5 and 6. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. <clears throat> For there is one God <clears throat> and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Okay? He gave himself a ransom. One mediator. It sounds like that man standing in the gap, doesn't it? Here's mankind, sinful man. Here's God. And along comes someone. He looked for a man to stand in the gap, but he could find none. Well, he couldn't find one. So you know what he did? He sent his son. And here's us, the sinners. And here's God. And he sent his son to stand in the gap. And he took on our sins. And he paid the price. I did a sermon. It was one of the sermons I preached when I became your pastor. It was called 46 Past Tense Verbs. You remember that? 46 Past Tense. I went through the Bible and I looked at all the verbs used to describe Jesus' finished work. They were absolutely amazing. And the reason why they were amazing is there was one for everybody. Okay. If you were a banker, he used made surety. If you were a judge, he used pardoned. If you were an accountant, he used reconciled. If you were in the medical profession, he used healed. If you were a soldier, he was wounded. Amen? If you were a programmer, he used purged. Amen? If you were a, a, a politician, he used abolished. There was one for everybody. If you were a four-year-old little kid, he used put away. Don't you love that one? If you were a homemaker, he used washed. If you were a dad, he used purchased and bought. Look at all those words. He, he used a word for every single one. But you know what? Every single one of them is a past tense verb. You know what that means? He did it. It's paid. It's paid. He did, he did that for us. But he did it with something more precious than gold or money. He did it with his own blood. That was his payment for us. Isn't that great? Okay. He did it in an administrative capacity. This is in Hebrews 10, 19, and 20. Now again, Last week we learned when Adam was in the garden, 
one of the consequences of his sins is he got kicked out. Before he could just take a walk with God in the garden, and then he got kicked out of the garden, and he no longer had that fellowship. And under the Old Testament system, it was really bad. Just bad's not the right word because you still had access to God, but you only could go through him one time a year through one man. And you know what Jesus did? He tore down that veil. And through Jesus, he's given you 24 access, 24 hour access, seven days a week. You can talk to God anytime. You don't have to wait to go to one man one time a year. You got still have to go through the one man as Jesus Christ, but he's always available. Notice what it says. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. As our federal head, he created a new way where we can communicate with God. I don't know. I, maybe maybe it just we take that for granted that we pray. Do you realize that? In the small, in the dark, in your closet, or in the middle of the night, or just and you're driving along and, 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 and you got this fear, and just, just a five-second prayer. You have got access to God all the time. Jesus did that for you. Why? Because he's your federal head. He went and tore that down for you. He was your representative and he secured that for you. Yeah, he took away your sins, but while you're still here on earth and you're stuck here until he comes back and gets us, he's giving you access to God. Okay? And I got one more. Got one more. This is Hebrews 1.3. Now, this is one of these deals where I love the King James. There's a little phrase in there that every other Bible leaves out, and I love the King James for it. That's those words, by himself. Every other version takes it out, okay? He hath in the last days spoken to us by his Son, that's our federal head, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. He purged your sin. He didn't need your help. It's not like I paid $999 and you got to pay the last penny. No, he, he paid the whole balance. He reconciled it by himself. God sought for a man to stand in the gap, to make up the hedge for the land's sake. He couldn't find one for the land's sake. But he found one for your and I's eternal salvation. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he became that federal head. He stood and he became that person. So I've enjoyed going through this study. This was, this was exciting. More exciting than the curses from last week. But I don't think you can appreciate the blessings until you understand the ramifications of the cursing and where we're at. Now next week, Lord willing, and I'm going to give you the homework. I want you to read Romans 5, 12 through 21. And I want you to read 1 Corinthians 15, probably 20 through 25. And read those passages because we're going to now walk forward and talk about a message 
about you having two federal heads at the same time. 